the 80,000 Alaskans who rely on it shouldn't have to decide between keeping their lights on and feeding their family. A new lawsuit aims to protect funding for subsidized electricity in rural Alaska. From Alaska Public Media, this is Statewide News on Alaska News Nightly for Monday, July 19th. Good evening, I'm Lori Townsend. Also tonight, Canada will open the border to vaccinated travelers in August, but is it enough for struggling tourism businesses? I thought it was bad last year, but it's worse this year. (laughs) Those stories and more tonight on Alaska News Nightly. Alaska News Nightly is brought to you in part by your local public radio station. The Alaska State Library Talking Book Center has audiobooks and more for children and adults who are unable to read standard print. Learn more at talkingbooks.alaska.gov. This message sponsored by the Alaska Library Network. The Pfizer COVID-19 vaccine is now authorized in the U.S. for anyone 12 years or older. Getting your child immunized with this free, safe, and effective vaccine is a great way to get them safely back to sports, get-togethers, and other fun summer activities. Learn more about COVID-19 vaccines and schedule appointments at covidvax.alaska.gov or call the State of Alaska COVID-19 Vaccine Helpline at 1-833-482-9546. This message sponsored by the Alaska Department of Health and Social Services. A new report details hundreds of cases of COVID-19 that still hit Alaskans who'd gotten the vaccine. And social media posts about those so-called breakthrough cases are vigorous. Despite these anecdotal reports, Alaska scientists who have been studying the effectiveness of the COVID-19 vaccine say there's no evidence that shows the shots aren't working like they're supposed to. And if you look at the big picture... They say the data actually reinforces the fact that the vaccines are extraordinarily effective and that more people should get them. Here to talk about this with us is Nat Herz, a reporter with Alaska Public Media. Hi, Nat. Hey, Lori. So, Nat, tell us about this reporting that you've been doing on the vaccines. So it really started with just some curiosity around these breakthrough cases where people were reporting that they'd gotten COVID even though they'd gotten the vaccine. We'd been seeing and hearing a fair amount of those reports on social media and through word of mouth, and we wanted to just get a better sense of what exactly is going on here. Is this happening more than it's supposed to be happening based on what we'd expect from the vaccine? The state condensed these reports into a new bulletin that says more than 650 vaccinated people had gotten COVID since February, even though they've gotten the shots. 17 of those people had to be hospitalized and two of them died. Okay, that actually sounds like pretty bad news, but it also sounds like there's probably a lot more to this story. Yeah, so there's some context here that is absolutely essential to understand what's actually happening and the risk involved uh, to both the vaccinated and unvaccinated population. Um, The context starts with a pretty basic fact. Um, A tiny bit less than half of Alaska's population has had one or more doses of the COVID-19 vaccine. And yes, there were those 650 plus cases in that group. But and this is really important in the unvaccinated half of Alaska's population over the same period, there were 15,000 cases of COVID-19. So that's more than 20 times as many cases in a group of people that's roughly the same size. 
Those numbers are similar when it comes to hospitalizations and deaths. There were 391 COVID-19-related hospitalizations among unvaccinated people compared to 17 among vaccinated people. And again, these are in similar-sized groups. Wow, Nat, that gives us uh, gives us a very different picture than just looking at the breakthrough COVID cases in isolation. Yeah, so, and there are a few other useful pieces of context here. Um, one is that as we see the vaccinated population getting bigger, just because of the sheer size of that group, we're inevitably going to see more cases where vaccinated people still get COVID. Second is that not all of these cases among vaccinated people are serious. We know that the vaccines are most effective at preventing severe disease rather than any type of infection at all. And this new report on the 650 plus cases of COVID in vaccinated people said that out of those, almost 40 percent of the people were asymptomatic. They might have just been tested for travel or work and, and popped up positive that way. Um, the data that's coming back also shows that there isn't any kind of crazy jump in the proportion of breakthrough cases caused by the Delta variant, which tracks with research that shows the vaccines to still be very effective against that strain. One of the experts I talked to says that these anecdotal reports of vaccine breakthrough cases that you might be seeing on social media could be kind of giving a distorted picture of what's happening. Because you're not seeing like a social media post every time someone who's vaccinated gets exposed to a sick person, but then doesn't get sick. You know, that's sort of a, a mystery uh, or a silent sort of case where the vaccine did its job. Um, and, and, you know, I think the other thing that's important for people to remember is that these vaccines were not touted as being 100 percent effective. They were touted as being very, very effective, but not perfect. So, Nat, the message here ends up being a little counterintuitive. This report on cases where the vaccine didn't work actually ends up showing how well the vaccines do work, except for these relatively rare cases. Yeah. So, what you know, one of the epidemiologists who worked on this report said that after studying these hundreds of breakthrough cases, there really was nothing that changed her view and her message that these vaccines are enormously effective and our best bet for fighting the virus. And, you know, this is coming at a time when case counts are rising. We know that this more contagious Delta variant is spreading. We're looking forward to schools going back into session. And meanwhile, vaccinations have fallen way off. We're now seeing just 300 or so residents a day getting vaccinated on average. And at that pace, it would take years to get the rest of our population fully vaccinated. All right. Well, the message stays the same. Get vaccinated. Thanks for bringing that message to us, Nat. Thanks for having me, Lori. That was Alaska Public Media's Nat Hurst reporting. The Alaska Federation of Natives and other organizations, municipalities, and rural power providers sued Governor Mike Dunleavy's administration today to keep the funding in place that helps lower power expense in high-cost areas. The lawsuit said the administration's plan to sweep money from the Power Cost Equalization Endowment Fund and leave the program unfunded this year is unconstitutional. Attorney Scott Kendall worked on the lawsuit. PCE is not a program that was ever meant to be subject to the political whims of the time, and the 80,000 Alaskans who rely on it shouldn't have to decide between keeping their lights on and feeding their family. 
Since Dunleavy's first year as governor, the administration has said that the $1 billion fund is subject to an annual vote of the legislature. That vote failed in both chambers of the legislature this year. The lawsuit argues that more than $30 million in the budget for power cost equalization should continue to be paid. The Power Cost Equalization Endowment Fund was established in 2000 to provide stable funding for the program, which has been the subject of annual legislative debate. Kendall explains. Rural Alaskans are largely disconnected from the grid and disconnected from each other. We couldn't build one big billion-dollar project to solve those energy cost issues. We created this uh, fund as though it's a piece of infrastructure. And, you know, if we build a hydro dam, we wouldn't be trying to tear it down every year. Um, We'd be allowing it to serve its purpose. The plaintiffs are seeking to have the lawsuit heard quickly, and so is Dunleavy. The governor authorized the administration to pursue an expedited judgment. He said in a statement, quote, this issue is too important to delay any further. Dunleavy has proposed including power cost equalization in the state constitution as part of an amendment that would also mandate the payment of permanent fund dividends. Still to come on Alaska News Nightly, new music celebrates the work of indigenous Alaska musicians. That love of your culture, of your language, where they're just rapping hip hop in their indigenous language, like that sets them apart from everybody else. This is ahead. Stay with us. Alaska News Nightly is brought to you in part by your local public radio station. Annie Wright Schools, located in Tacoma, Washington, offers rich, thoughtful, and internationally recognized programs for students from around the world. A variety of boarding options are available year-round. There's a virtual preview of the school, the faculty, and campus for high school students seeking to explore international baccalaureate academics, arts, and athletics at aw.org Alaska. This message sponsored by Annie Wright Schools. The Canadian government announced today it will reopen its border on August 9th to vaccinated Americans. Travelers will have to upload proof they've been fully vaccinated against the coronavirus for at least two weeks. They will also have to get tested within 72 hours of arrival and submit a negative test result. The Canada-U.S. border has been closed to non-essential travel since March of last year. Opening it is a boon for Alaska snowbirds who drive south in the fall and for certain businesses that depend on road and ferry traffic, but not all of them. I thought it was bad last year, but it's worse this year. (laughs) Kathy Knighton owns Grizzly Lake Campground on the Toke Cutoff, 160 miles from the border. She was less than thrilled with Canada's announcement of the August 9th date. The immediate effect on her little RV park was not good. She got a cancellation from people who were counting on the border opening earlier. They canceled because they felt like it was too late for them to come this year. Knighton says they've been operating at about 10% capacity. At Slide Mountain Cabins and RV Park, mile 135 of the Glen Highway, owner Anna Stark is also underwhelmed. I'm hopeful, but also I'm not <laughs> like, oh, I'm so excited because what I find is a lot of um, RVers, they're planning these trips out months in advance. There's no time left in the season for that. At first, Canada is only opening the border to American citizens and permanent residents. It intends to begin allowing people from other countries to enter on September 7th. From burgers to buildings, supply chain issues and price spikes are complicating business around Alaska. KTOO's Jeremy Shea reports. Economists like McDonald's. 
I was gonna get for you. Uh, yes, can I have your uh, number five uh, with sweet and sour? Alan Brown moved to Juneau recently from Nashville, Tennessee, and he's got a little sticker shock. Thanks. So 10, 17 is my total at home, and it'll have been like seven and change. Brown is not an economist, but he just did a thing economists like doing with McDonald's menu. He compared the price of an identical product in two different markets. The Economist magazine has its Big Mac index, but for decades, state economists have gone with the quarter pounder with cheese, occasionally highlighting what it costs in different Alaska communities in the magazine Alaska Economic Trends. Spoiler alert for the July issue, it's $5.49 in Juneau, up 10 cents from before the pandemic. This issue of trends focuses on spikes in the cost of living and attributes a lot of that to supply chain problems related to the pandemic. There was deflation last year amid lockdowns, but now the world is reopening. McDonald's wouldn't answer questions for this story, but a local food truck business that specializes in burgers shared what's driven its first price increases since opening in 2014. On social media last month, Pucker Wilson's said its supply costs have more than doubled since January, so the prices of most menu items went up by a dollar. Restaurants generally operate on thin profit margins, so they're especially sensitive to changes in food prices. Plus, staffing is tough right now, and there are fewer customers around with a short cruise ship season. This is by far, in a way, the hardest thing that uh, we've ever had to deal with. Risha Wilson is the main owner of five downtown Juno restaurants, including the Hangar on the Wharf. She says market conditions led her to leave two of her seasonal restaurants closed this summer and raise prices. It's difficult to manage your day-to-day operations and just get through the day, let alone worrying about having to reprint your menus and pay attention to the inflation as we lean into a very different business model. She says prices are up across the board, with meats and seafood especially. She hopes the supply chain problems are temporary and that she can rebuild her businesses. Melani Shivens runs the economic publications firm Raincoast Data in Juneau. I think that most people, most organizations miscalculated how quickly once people got the vaccines and once the vaccines were distributed, how quickly sort of normal life would return and so normal demand. And so you just see a lag and you see it locally, nationally, globally in terms of getting the supply chains up to the level of the demand that, that we are now having. So burgers and menu prices are one indicator of supply chain issues. Shivens highlighted another price-related indicator, often measured by the millions. So we're seeing a lack of building supplies. <laughs> we see that locally with, with our building projects. Our construction projects have gotten really expensive really fast. The Alaska Department of Transportation and Public Facilities does a lot of construction. We are definitely seeing price fluctuations, a lot of prices going up, uh, material shortages in general across the board. Christopher Goins is a DOT construction engineer who estimates he'll oversee more than $140 million in construction contracts across the region this season. The way competitive bidding on government contracts goes, construction companies doing work now likely locked in what they're being paid months ago, or even years ago, for multi-season projects, before materials prices went wild. Yeah, so the most part, Our contracts in the state of Alaska really don't have what we call escalation clauses. When a dollar amount comes in, it's pretty much a fixed dollar amount for that contract. Goen says the department has been willing to give contractors extra time, but it's on them to factor risk into their bids. 
which Goins is seeing for projects in the bidding stage now. When bids come in higher than budgeted, there's only a few options. Ask policymakers for more money, scale projects back to fit the budget, or don't build. So that, that's the harsh, hard realities of the budgeting process from our end. Looking forward, Goins has hopes, but no certainty. I don't think we're through this inflationary blip, if it is a blip. And hopefully the markets, as the country gets back to producing and the world gets back to producing, we hope that some of those higher spikes will begin to, to fall. The industry group Associated General Contractors of America has said the materials and supply chain problems may put some firms out of business and add to the industry's high unemployment rates. In Juneau, I'm Jeremy Shea. The managing director of the Papua New Guinea-based company working on a major oil project on Alaska's North Slope has resigned. Oil Search's Kieran Wolf led the PICA project for more than three years. The company announced today that Wolf had suddenly stepped down from his job. On a financial call, Oil Search chairman Rick Lee said Wolf was leaving due to health issues, but he also said the board was investigating a whistleblower's complaint into Wolf's behavior. In view of the board, this unacceptable behavior was inconsistent with the standards required under the company's code of conduct. Lee said he could not describe Wolf's behavior that led to the complaint, citing confidentiality reasons. He also said he could not comment further on Wolf's illness, describing it as a deteriorating long-term medical condition. It's unclear what Wolf's resignation will mean for the future of the PICA project. An oil search spokeswoman said the company plans to make a final investment decision later this year. However, on the call today, Lee said there was no set timeline. Oil search is working on the project with Repsol, Companies estimate that PICA could produce 80,000 barrels of oil a day starting in 2025. Alaska News Nightly is brought to you in part by Scan Home, offering adjustable desks and other ergonomic office furniture. Located in the Dover Center at 34th and A Streets in Midtown Anchorage. Family support through an educational program is important, especially in these uncertain times. The Alaska Commission on Post-Secondary Education offers families a low-cost loan option to cover college and career training expenses. ACPE is your family's trusted partner in education. Visit acpe.alaska.gov today. This message sponsored by Alaska Commission on Post-Secondary Education. One small crustacean is costing New England shell fisheries millions of dollars. The European green crab might be small, but it can destroy vital habitats for animals all along the food chain. In July of 2020, green crab were found in Haida Gwaii, the closest they've ever been to Alaska. With the help of volunteers, the Alaska Department of Fish and Game hopes to stay one step ahead of this invasive species. Katie Anastas reports on the latest efforts in Petersburg. It's low tide at Petersburg's sandy beach. Sunny Rice and a group of volunteers walk toward a crab trap. They're on the lookout for an invasive species called the European green crab. So they were found... uh, fairly recently just south of the border with Alaska and British Columbia. And so we're looking to see what we see. Hopefully we don't find a green crab, but it's always more fun if we find something. Green crab are small but mighty, measuring around three or four inches wide. They have a dark greenish-brown shell with yellow spots. To check whether the crabs have made it this far north, 
The Alaska Department of Fish and Game has asked volunteer groups to set up traps all over southeast. How many traps do you have? Six. Six here and then two of them um, behind the Fish and Game office where Hammer Sleuth comes in. Mm. Um, we've done one time here IDing already. Didn't find any green crab, which is good. Didn't find any other crab either, which is not as interesting for these guys. Rice is with a group of high school students with the Petersburg Indian Association's Natural Resource Management Program. They head to the last trap. Once again, today, there are no green crabs. Unfortunately, you guys, this is sometimes what monitoring is about. And as we know, we don't really want to find a green crab anyway, but... But it would be cool to find this. Yes. Getting a group of kids, or anyone, excited about not finding something is a bit of a challenge, says Tammy Davis. She's the Invasive Species Program Coordinator for the Alaska Department of Fish and Game. In this case, you're hoping to get zeros across the board, which, you know, as a citizen monitor, it may be somewhat of a deterrent because getting zeros isn't as exhilarating as finding that thing that you're looking for, you know. But citizen monitors are a vital part of the search for green crab. Green crab could be a serious threat to juvenile salmon, dungeness crab, and other wildlife vital to southeast ecosystems and industries. Davis said the big problem is habitat destruction. Green crab like to get into eelgrass beds when they search for clams, mussels, and other invertebrates. When they do, they clip the leaves or uproot the eelgrass entirely. That leaves other animals, like juvenile salmon, without a habitat. And so that whole food chain gets disrupted when green crab move in and it's sort of a cascading impact, both destruction to the habitat as well as reducing um, and altering the food chain. It's happening on the East Coast, too. In New England, green crab are uprooting eelgrass and eating softshell clams. East Coast shell fisheries have lost an estimated 14 to $18 million annually because of green crab, according to Environmental Protection Agency research. Green crab populations there continue to grow because of rising sea temperatures. As sea temperatures rise here, Davis said, Alaska could face a similar economic and ecological threat as New England. Aquatic invasive species put those things at risk, either through predation or habitat destruction. So it matters to all of us if invasive species get introduced and then spread. In Petersburg, I'm Katie Anastas. One of the co-creators of the Inuit band Pamua released his first album as a solo artist and brought other indigenous Alaskan musicians along for the ride. KTOO Shandra Safran talked with Yupik artist Kajung Stephen Blanchett and his fellow collaborators. This is a collage of their conversations to help paint the picture of their work. Kajung is the Yuchtu name of Stephen Blanchett. His new album may be solo, but it has some big indigenous pop supergroup energy. He relocated with his family to Klingit territory a few years ago and collaborated with other indigenous Alaskan artists like Juno's Arius Hoyle, who goes by Air Jazz. The result is Mew, a record imbued with the polish of decades in the music industry, the rich texture of soul, funk, rock, and hip-hop, and the wisdom shared across generations of native pop artists. That's one of the reasons why I moved to Juno. Because of the art scene here and like the culture. And, and I knew at that moment, around that same time, I was going to work on this album. Um, I hadn't gone in the studio yet, but I knew in my mind, I'm going to work with Arias. I'm going to work with Byron Nikolai, Akuma too. Um, and so these, you know, artists that are 
you know, coming into their own style of music and, and they're also hip hop, which I was like, I wanted some hip hop in, in my in my project. For Juno's Arius Hoyle, who is a generation younger than Kajung, there was a lot of value in working with another native pop musician. Flingit Kenach, Yaudune Yuchatwasak, Guske Kwani Kenach, Arius Ka Air Jazz Yuchatwasak, Yeh Nachatsiti, Kanach Tedi Ayachat, Shia Awudneri Ka Anyat Husani, Gunachi Shahunkian Hat Yadi. Ah, it is your boy Air Jazz, aka Arius Hoyle, aka Yaudune. Hoyle described the seamlessness between creative and cultural expression in their work. The things he does are exactly what I strive to do, because as long as you're representing your people, there's no right way to do it. You just express yourself, and it's going to slap. And that was the best wisdom he ever gave me. Kajung said working alongside someone with Hoyle's colorfulness pushed him to step up his own style. Because you're right, he he just kind of came into the scene, just fully formed, right? Baked out, just ready, knew what his style is and his sound, and had has a um, maturity, right, in his performance. Both artists have a strong style that you can see in the video for On That Day. As one of the local actors in the video, I got the chance to get a glimpse at his vision behind the scenes. Without giving too much away, masks from many different Alaska Native cultures feature prominently in the video. Because the masks told stories, and that's what the function of them were. They weren't made for wall hangings and stuff like that, where a lot of what you, the masks that you see nowadays, you know, they, you know, they get made and, you know, put up on someone's wall as a piece of artwork. You know, those, those masks were made for performance. Those masks were made for, to tell stories. But, you know, unfortunately, you know, <sighs> The, the, that was one of the first things to go, right? With the suppression of our dances, the masks were, you know, the, by the from the missionaries and, and, and um, you know, colonizers, they, they really used the masks against us. They used our songs and our dances and our ceremonies, and especially the masks against us. And so we're, we're wanting to, you know, tell these stories and bring them to light and bring them to life. As for the future of Native Pop? I want it to explode. But what is it that's going to make you stand out? And for a lot of Indigenous artists, it, that's, it's that indigeneity. It's like that love of your culture, um, of your language, where they're just rapping hip-hop in their Indigenous language. Like, that sets them apart from everybody else. Kajung's album Mew is out now on all streaming platforms. From Klinget Ani, Wonga Ekugan Chandra Safran. So why don't you take your mind to another place? Today's temperate rainforest, we temperate rainforest, the emperor's rainforest, remember this day for the eagle wolf is huffing and puffing, he's buffing while stuffing the muffin down his gullet like nothing. Give the god one time, Adana, Fukuna, this Gucci has Gucci, Yana, men and Una. This is for the Tongis, Nakatafur, Columbus, Northwest, Southeast, Columbus. Thank you.
all for this edition of Alaska News Nightly. If you missed any of tonight's stories, we're online at alaskapublic.org and wherever you get your podcasts. We had reports tonight from Nat Hers, Liz Ruskin, and Tegan Hanlon in Anchorage, Andrew Kitchenman, Jeremy Shea, and Chandra Safran in Juneau, and Katie Anastas in Petersburg. If you want to send us a news tip, question, or comment, email us, news at alaskapublic.org. Our audio engineer is Tobin Shelby, Any Fight produced tonight's program, and I'm Lori Townsend. Good night. Alaska News Nightly was made possible by Alaska Pipeline Service Company, celebrating more than 43 years of Alaska operations. If you would like to play an integral part in what you're listening to, public media is designed for and made possible by the communities it serves. If you are already a member or corporate sponsor, thank you. If you'd like to learn more about how to become a member or sponsor, it's easy. Start with a call to your public radio station. This is Statewide News on Alaska Public Media.